Those, for those online, we know we lost a picture. We're trying to get it back right now. So we're calling in the experts. Calling in Mr. Coombs, who's hopefully awake. Brennan, yeah, go help, go, help, go, go to Nick and call your dad, and that'll be great. <laughs> for those of you, the rest of you who are watching online, just know my voice is enough, I guess. Um, that's what we'll do. I'm going to go ahead... I usually don't use a podium. I won't either today either. This is week two of our talk on loneliness. Last week we made a few claims, a few assertions. So, um, I want to repeat those, reiterate them so you know kind of where we're standing. We said last week was that in America, the values of our nation, the values of the American culture, our values lead people towards loneliness. One of our great values is independence, freedom. I don't need no one. When I'm 17, I move away from home. I don't need nobody or nothing. And that independence, that individual the expressive individualism, that is something, that is something that isolates us one from another. It's what it does. We are a very lonely nation. The whole my way or the highway, we've chosen my way and we are by ourselves. We said last week that being alone is not good. God said it is not good for man to be alone. We learn that God has given us four different things to remedy the feeling of loneliness. God has given us himself. God has given us the family. God has given us friends. And God has given us the church. And we learn that these four things that God has given us to remedy loneliness, these four things, though they actually do connect us to the world, they don't fix the problem fully. The remedy does not fully remedy. That even though I have the Lord and I love him and know him, I still might feel distant from him. Because we're walking by faith and not by sight. Sometimes, even though I know God loves me and I know God is for me, I'm, I'm his child, sometimes I feel distant from him. To quote David, the psalmist, how long, O oh Lord, will you hide your face from me? He felt far away from God. So today we deal with the second remedy. We talk about the family. And we begin in Genesis 2, 18. Genesis 2, 18 says the following. And the Lord God said, It is not good the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. I mean to verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, 
They shall become one flesh. They shall become one flesh. The family. I'm going to talk about the goodness of the family for a little bit. The beauty, the kindness of God in giving us family and in giving us marriage. Now, before I even start, I know for a fact that some of us in this room, these words of beauty will cut deep. This is a beauty that we do not have or a beauty that we do not know. Let me walk the beauty first. And I will address the brokenness of the world we live in. So first, the beauty. One of the, one of the building blocks of society is the family. When God saw it's not good for men to be alone, the first thing God does is he creates the family unit. A mother, a father, and children. This thing is a family unit, and it is supposed to be the building block of society. It is the individual Lego piece for how the world is built, the family. And we don't know this in America very well, but if you are places like India or Africa, you go to a land like India. I lived there for a few years. In India, you make less than a dollar a day picking rice in the rice fields, okay? You can't survive on that. So what do you do? Instead, it's a grandfather, his four kids, and all 13 grandkids in one house. In one house. And what happens is, you can't survive alone, but if it's everybody together, if it's all 10 of you working, that money can be put into a pot together, and then you can survive. So, in India, in the tribe, you survive. In India, if it's with your family you live, if you leave your family, you will die on your own. That's a lot of the world. That's not America, though. So in America, we're not used to needing family. But family's a good thing. It's a gift from the Lord, and this good gift God gives to the family will start with just parents and siblings. Parents and siblings, okay? So the first point is simply this. Guys, go ahead, give up on it. Don't worry about it. We'll just do vocals only, okay? Go ahead, sit down. It'll be fine. You guys look over there like talking. It does more harm for me than helping, so that'd be cool if we just stop. Um, so, <laughs> Sunday mornings are always wild trying to do this live feed stuff. But anyways, so God gives the family. God gives us the family. God gives us parents and siblings to keep us connected, to connect us to humanity. This gift he gives us takes work. It takes work. To be part of a family takes work. The fourth commandment, one, two, the fifth commandment says, honor thy mother and thy father in the Lord, for this is right, and you shall live long upon the earth. That's the fifth commandment. Honor your mother and your father. This is a hard commandment for a child. I am 40 years old. Now, for the young kids in the room, obey your mother and father. Just, just do it. Don't sass. 
just, just do what they say. I got a 10-year-old who's 15, apparently, and she's learning the sass, and this is a battle we're facing every day. So for kids, obey your parents. God's given them to you for a reason. Do what they say. When you live underneath their roof, they are the boss. You're welcome, parents. But for other, those of us that are grown-ups, I'm 40 years old. When I go home to see my mama, if my mama smacks me in the head, I don't be, I'm not like, I'm a grown man, leave me alone. I take the hit, and I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, mama. Because she's my mom. I'm still honoring my mom to this. She's, I'm, four, I'm a 40-year-old man, and I still show my mother the appropriate honor she is due. And that is something I do to keep this relationship alive. I show honor to my parents because I know that this relationship is valuable in my life. And it's valuable in your life too. Honor your mother and father. We see in the scriptures, this is something that is done. It's a high value in the scriptures. Not only does it take work to keep the family alive, it also is a responsibility. Jesus upon the cross. When Christ is on the cross dying, Jesus says seven things from the cross. He says seven things. And one of the seven things Christ says, he says to his mother. Mary watches her son die, and Christ looks down and says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. As he's dying for the sins of the world, Christ makes sure to take care of his mother because he is the oldest son. Christ tells John, John, Mary's your mom now and you take care of her. And we learn in history, we learn in history, the apostle John does not leave Jerusalem until Mary passes away. When Peter's running and Paul is running, John stays in Jerusalem because he's like, this is my mama, I gotta take care of her. Tough. Some of you have been there. Some of you are there right now. Your parents have gotten older. You got to take care of them. And that's a hard thing. I know a lady, professional woman in New York City, who just put her whole life on hold to come home and take care of her sick and dying father. That's a sacrificial kind of love. I've known families who have made room in their house to take, take their parents into their home to care for them as long as they are able. That is a beautiful thing to do. A hard thing, a costly thing, but a good thing. I have walked with families, having their families in their house, having their, in, their parents in their house for a season, and, the, and the, the elderly parent becomes so sick, they can no longer take care of the, the parent in a healthier, safe way. I've seen kids go through that painful realization, decision. Our parents, let's go to a home because we can't provide the medical care needed. Those are tough things. But loving our families is a responsibility. There's a story in Genesis chapter 50. There's a brother named Joseph, and Joseph is the baby of his family, but Joseph is also the favorite of his family. And he's so beloved, Joseph's the favorite kid among 11 brothers. His, all his older brothers hate him for it. And at one point, they conspire to kill him. Instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery. It's an awful story. 
There's a story of how in the desert night, he called to his brothers and they ignored his cries and he was carried off to Egypt in chains. Joseph has the favor of God on his life and he becomes strong in Egypt. He becomes second only to Pharaoh in Egypt. And there's a famine in the land and his 11 brothers come for help. Imagine if your family betrays you. They knife you. They sell you. And you, are, you, you have the power, you have the authority, you have the strength to make them pay for what they've done to you. And Joseph sees his brothers. Listen to what happens. I'm going to read this in its fullness. Genesis 50. It says this. When Joseph's brothers, so 50 verse 15, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did him. They're like, man, our dad died. He's going to get us now. He's going to make us pay for what we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Now Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before his feet and said, Behold, we are your servants. So the, his 11 brothers assume they're going to die for what they've done. They come to Joseph's feet. They fall at his feet crying, Don't kill us, we're sorry. They're begging for their lives. That's what Joseph does. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear, I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. I've read that story a hundred times. And I always love that one line when Joseph says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I love that. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. And I always loved, I thought of that passage like, man, God can redeem suffering. But one day, an African pastor taught me a much deeper truth from that passage. The African minister says, what do you see when you read this passage? I said, I see how God can redeem evil. He goes, tell you what I see, brother. I read this African, thick African accent. He says to me, I see that we must care for our families, you know, what they do to us. And I was like, whoa, because African culture is a much more familial culture. And he saw something I had missed for years. Joseph cared for his brothers and their children. Our parents and our siblings takes work to keep these relationships alive. And it is a responsibility. But now let's get to the, the hard part. When this breaks, when the family breaks, that's a heartbreaking thing. And it happens. In Ruth chapter 1 and verse 1, we meet a great family. 
we meet a woman named Naomi. And Naomi has a husband, and she's a happy woman. She's found love in the world, all is well. They have three sons. Oh, in the ancient world, boys were like money. You got three boys. Where they live in Israel was going through a um, recession. So they move to a foreign land. They're immigrants in a foreign land. But they do okay financially. They're doing all right. The husband working hard. The boys are out in the fields. They're making their way in the world. And then her husband dies. She's a widow. And she's a widow. Not only is she a widow, she's a widow far from home. She's the wrong color, speaks the wrong language. She's far away. But thankfully, she has three sons, three adult sons. Because in the ancient Near East, women couldn't own property. She would have been uncovered, but she has three adult sons who are married, and they can take care of her. But then, over the next few years, all three sons die. All three kids die. So now you have a mother widowed and three daughters widowed. And you watch what happens to their life with their family gone. Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth move back to Israel and they become beggars. With no family to catch them, their life is they're in poverty, they're alone, and it is hard. It is hard. I preached this sermon this morning at Carriage Town Homeless Shelter. And everyone I preached to, for the most part, didn't have the net of a family. If I lost my job, if my life exploded, you know what I'd do? I'd call Angie's parents. <laughs> Years ago, when, my li- when our life did explode, we moved into their, we moved into Angie's childhood room for how long? Nine months? We, we had no job, no, we were emotionally devastated, and our parents took us in and let us heal. What if you didn't have that? What if you didn't have that net to catch you when you fell? You'd end up on the streets. You'd end up homeless, right? And a lot of people in America don't have that net. I got a friend of mine, a good friend of mine. When he was 18, his mom got cancer. And he, he held her hand as she breathed her last. He was the last one to see his mama before she died. So now it's just him and his father. A year later, his dad is gardening out in the yard. He's doing dishes. He sees his dad fall over, runs outside, holds his father. His father dies in his arms in the front yard. So in one year, he loses both parents. And now he's an 19-year-old kid with no parents in the world. That is a hard way to walk through the world without that that net, without that love, without that wisdom, without that protection. He was on his own after that point. Not having that family behind us, it's really hard. Now, I know. I'll say a few things. First, I'll say this. As far 
as it depends on you. Make peace with your families. I've done a lot of funerals. I've seen a lot of family grudges. 10 years, 20 years. I don't talk to them because they did this. I encourage you. Make the call. Send the text. Do something to reopen communication because family is meant to be a blessing. There's a time in my life where I, uh, I um, hurt my mother. I said some things to her that were harsh and angry. And I ran off to Texas to be on my own for a while. I remember I finally I got hurt real bad. I hurt my leg. I couldn't work anymore. I, I, had, no, I had no more money. I had no job. I had nowhere to go. I remember going to a pay phone and calling my mom. It's a very humiliating, humbling thing. Reaching out to her after all that time to say, I need help. Thankfully, my mama said, I, I called her. I'm like, hey, Ma. She's like, hey. I was like, can I come home? She's like, yeah, you can come home. That was it. The rest of the healing had to come later. That was the first talk we had in like a year. That's all I was like, can I come home? Like, I was like a little kid. And she said, you can come home. And I came home. If you can, make peace. With your siblings, make peace. My brothers are my best friends. I know sibling rivalry is a real thing. I got two kids at home that fight. My, okay, I won't tell any stories. But the other day we did we did ice cream in three bowls, and apparently one bowl was too low. The world was going to end. It was it was they're, they're out of control. Make peace. But I will say this: I know that sometimes there are some parents. Our parents are just people. They're going to fail us. They don't know how to say I love you. They work too much. They're not there when we need them. They get drunk at our wedding. They, the parents mess things up, okay? They do. <laughs> I watch you smile when I say certain things and I know whose parents are who. Um, but they're just people. I'm going to fail my kids and your parents are going to fail you. Have grace to them. But there are some parents who are abusive. There are some parents who abandon their children. Sometimes it's impossible to make things right. That happens too. That's a hard thing. So God gives us parents and siblings. God also gives us marriage. It says in Genesis 2 these words. Genesis 2 says this. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So I was a son to my mom for a long time. Then one day I left my mama's family. I married a girl and started a new family. 
In the old King James, it says cleave. So the rhyme was always leave and cleave, was what we always said. You leave your parents and you cleave to your spouse, create this new thing. So I want to say things about marriage. First, I want to say this. Marriage is good. I know the world we live in makes fun of marriage. They say the old ball and chain. I've heard Christians say, well, I don't need a piece of paper to love my, my, my partner. Making the vow before the Lord is a big deal. Making the vow before God's a big deal. So it's going to say right now what I won't say. It's a big deal. Getting married is a big deal. This summer I have six weddings. It's a lot. I'll be wearing suits. I'll be sweating more than I'm sweating right now. It'll be awful. Got two outdoor weddings. And I love doing them. I love going to weddings. Some pastors hate weddings. I love weddings. Every wedding I go to is two people making commitment, making a vow to love one another in to honor the Lord. That's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. Marriage is a good thing. It's a good thing. The Bible says, he who finds a wife has found a good thing. Marriage is a good thing. Some of us in this room, we know it's good, but we don't have someone right now. To those in the room and online who are listening, not watching, who are listening, oh, we're watching. Hello, everybody. Um, to those online who are watching, let me say this. If you are single, I would say be wise who you give your heart to. Don't become so desiring of love that you give your heart to the first knucklehead who walks in the room. You don't want to give your love to someone who will not love you in return. Trading loneliness to be treated badly is not a good trade. It's not a good trade. To trade loneliness, to give our love to someone who doesn't love Jesus, doesn't love us well, is not a good trade. It is better to wait. You're like, well, how do you know? You've been married for like 18 years. That's fair. That's, I've been married for a little bit. I've been on the dating game for a long time. I talk to my friends who are still single. Dating game sounds awful nowadays. Like dating apps sound terrible. First dates sound hard. I mean, I... I'll tell Angie's story because she has a better one than me. Angie is older than I am. That's all I want to say about that. But she, she got married later than all her friends. So all her friends got married. She went to these weddings. And when you're, when you're, as you're getting older, you know, 20 and 25 and age goes on, numbers go up. If I get married, you wonder, well, Am I going to find somebody? And Angie had guys who would take her on dates, go to movies, on dinner. One dude asked, like, to marry her. She said, no. Um, thank the Lord. Um, but she finally got, she finally, all the dates didn't go very well. And she finally said, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. She said, Lord, if you 
She said to the Lord, I'm content being single. I don't need nobody. If you want me to get married, you better bring someone to my front door. Am I, is that what you said? So that's what she said. She made her peace with God that she was done chasing, looking, searching, digging for that thing. Lord, if you want me to get married, you got to bring someone to my front door. And what happened? I got lost in the woods one night. I came to the wrong house, knocked on the wrong door, and she answered. God brought me right to her front door in a blanket in my underwear. It's a, it's, a true, it's a true story. It's a true story. It's all true. Getting to that place of contentment is hard, saying, God, because you know your desire of your heart. I want this thing. I want someone to love and, and be loved by, because marriage is a beautiful thing. It is. It is. It's good. It's so good, God uses the love between a husband and a wife to describe his love for his church. It's a good thing. But let me say this, and, and hear me well. Do not think that when you find a spouse, your life immediately gets easier in every way. That's not the way it works. I said earlier, the remedies aren't a remedy. If you think, when I find a wife, when I find a husband, then my life will be awesome, you're, you're being lied to. You can't put all your hope in one person. You can't put all your eggs in that one basket. If you think this person is going to fulfill every need you have, no one can do that. No one. I'm married to an incredible woman. She can't fulfill every need I have. Because... I'm so broken inside of myself. If I, if I said, if I put all that expectation on her, you better make me feel loved all the time, that would crush her and make our marriage a living nightmare. I had to find peace with God and then learn how to love somebody else. You understand? Not codependence. Instead, I'm with God, you're with God, let's walk with God together. And that is a beautiful thing. Don't think that marriage will make all the problems go away. It's a good thing, but it brings its own problems too. Don't give your love to a foolish person. There's a story in the Bible of a lady named Abigail who's married to a guy named Nabal. Nabal's a drunken fool who almost gets his entire family killed when he insults King David. And he pa he's drunk, he passes out, and his wife saves the day. They don't all get, get sorted to death. And you watch her life is always cleaning up her drunken fool of a husband's messes. Be careful who you give your love to. Be careful who you give your love to. A guy asked for her hand, and she told the guy no, because she knew if I say yes to this guy, my life will go this direction, and I don't want that kind of life. And no, there might have been loneliness, she still had the strength and power to say no. Let me go a little further. 
So we have kids, and kids are awesome. I always thought they got, like, I always thought when they were babies, they're so much cool when they're older. I don't know about all that, but uh, a lot of Americans put our hope in our kids. Here's the thing about kids they leave, they grow up, they leave the house. You ever empty nest syndrome? We have in our house robin nests. And sometimes there'll be a robin nest right outside of one of our windows. And we'll watch the robins hatch. At first, they are ugly animals. You ever see a baby robin? Just matted down, gross. No, there's no they're just, they look like Tyson chickens. Um, they're just awful. Um, I don't know. I, I, anyways. anyway, so over time, as they eat, though, they begin getting feathers and standing up and getting, well, one day, the feathers are all dead. They look like an actual bird. They start flapping their wings. When a robin finally leaves the nest and flies, within two days, it never comes back to the nest. When a robin learns to fly, it is gone. It learns how to fly, it leaves the nest and never returns. The nest gets abandoned because they don't need it anymore. Our kids will leave. I have a 10-year-old, 8-year-old, I love them so much, they're going to leave me. As a Christian, you can't put all your hope in your kids because they're going to leave you. Our hope must be in Christ and Christ alone. So I'm trying to tell us these good things that God gives us. Be careful not to make them your God. Don't make your spouse your God. Don't make your kids your God. God is God. The rest is gift. If you have a spouse... You've been gifted. If you have kids, it's a gift. If you don't have a spouse, you're allowed to pray and say, Lord, this is the desire of my heart. I would like this. You're allowed to ask that. Just, I'm going to say it, so I'm going to, 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 to say it anyway. <sighs> I heard some preachers say that dating apps are sinful. If you've heard that nonsense, they're lying to you. You're allowed to try to meet people, okay? You have your pastor's permission to meet people and go on dates. You're welcome. I'm just saying, people say crazy things, trying to guilt everybody for all this kind of stuff. I'm not going to guilt you. So, parents, siblings are a blessing. Marriage and kids are a blessing. They're a gift. Just remember, don't make that gift your God. That's, it'll crush you, it'll hurt you, it'll hurt the marriage, it'll hurt the kids, it'll hurt everybody. Don't make the gift into your God. Only God is God. The rest is just gift. Now, how do we end? we end this way. If you have parents or siblings or kids and you're not talking right now, Do what you can to make peace. And you can't make anyone talk back to you. But you can always say, I love you. Happy birthday. Miss you. You can do things to just keep on trying to knock on the door. You can't make anyone open it, but you keep on knocking. If you have ought against family, you've got to forgive them. 
you got to forgive them. And that's what i got to say today. So with that said, let us pray together. God in heaven, so much for this morning. A lot of us in this room, our family story is more a tragedy than a, than a comedy. For those in this room that don't have a mother or a father, who have a broken family background, please give them special grace, O oh Lord. For those in this room who are married, let them die to themselves that their marriage may be strong. For those in this room who long for love, comfort their hearts and give them patience and contentment. Thank you for the gift of family. Help us not to abuse it. In Christ's name we ask all these things. Amen.